You are now listening to Raise the W, recorded at the School of Communication inside the Hickey Audio Lab on the beautiful campus of Western Michigan University. Come aboard and hear the people, stories, and impact of Western Michigan University. Here's your host, Tim Tarantine. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raise the W, a Bronco broadcast. This is the inaugural episode. I'm your host, Tim Tarantine. And thankfully today, as appropriate, I have with me on the first inaugural podcast, none other than our ninth president of Western Michigan University, John Dunn. John, how's it going, sir? Thank you very much, Tim. It's um, great to be with you on the inaugural podcast. Event. So thank you very much for including me. This is it. And just so that our listening audience and you know, the purpose of this podcast is to raise the W, to make sure that Western Michigan University and all of the stories and people and students and research and activities that make this university great and competitive around the world, that we can tell the masses the story. So if you're an alumni today listening or you're a donor today or just a family member of a student, we want you to know that the Bronco spirit and the Bronco activities are live and well. And this podcast is here to deliver that message to you, to bring you closer to this great university we all call home. So, John, let's dive into you as a person. Uh, Sometimes in leadership positions, people know you by your biography and your position, but we don't necessarily get to know the man. So, John, take us back to the beginning and tell us about the neighborhood you grew up in. Describe for us the startings of John Dunn. Oh, thank you very much. I I hope this won't be too boring for our listeners. I promise uh, it won't. I was uh, raised in a very, very small town in southern Illinois uh, named Pinckneyville. And uh, I had the opportunity to be there uh, actually last week for uh, uh, an event that honored my uncle. But while I was there, I drove around the town and brought back some nice memories. A uh, small town, not a very diverse community. Yeah. Um, great mother, uh, outstanding brother and sister. My father died a little bit early. And we actually lived in nine different homes when I was a kid. Nine different homes. Nine different homes. Wow. And one of those is still standing, and that's uh, what they built was called the housing project. Wow. So, um, you know, the beginnings were pretty pretty humble, but we were never uh, – we never lost uh, a sense of pride. My mother was uh, – you know, my mom would uh, let us know that, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but we had a lot of pride, and I'm very thankful to her for that. Sure. You talk about your mom, and if, if you know Dr. Dunn, you know that his mother played a huge role in his family, a huge role in his upbringing. Who else or what other types mm-hmm. of leaders influenced your decision to move from, from Pickneyville into education? And now here you are at the precipice of retiring after a great career in a very great field. Who else had an influence on that? Yeah, many, many people. I was very, very fortunate. And even in the, the small town I grew up in, I can think of several families that were enormously kind to me, supportive of me. My mother worked a lot. But, um, you know, there were other families that were always there to let me go with them to whatever the event was. And I felt like I was part of their group, their family. So they played a critical role, and I'll forever be appreciative of that. I had great great aunts and uncles and my grandmother also lived in that town and Mm. she was um, 
really um, a marvelous woman and, and so good support. And that was all on my father's side. My dad was one of ten. And so when I think of his brothers and sisters, um, they played a big, big role in my life. Uh, from there uh, to the university, uh, I studied at Northern Illinois University because my uncle was on the faculty there, mm. one of my uh, dad's brothers. And uh, what a great guy. Uh, he died uh, this past year at the age of 94. Wow. And uh, he was a great mentor, great supporter, and, um, and, and, and just provided good guidance and good direction. Uh, always kind and, and very thoughtful in his interactions with me. So of all the people we talk to on this podcast moving forward, John, we're going to ask the same question. Why did you choose higher ed? Mm -hmm. What was it about higher education and the power of that that compelled you into this career? Yeah, thank you very much. I, uh, after I graduated from Northern Illinois, I taught in a public school for a few years, uh, Lake Forest High School in Illinois, which was really kind of interesting because it's a very, very wealthy community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, money that, uh, I had not seen before, but uh, I started at the request of a mother in the community to work with her son, and uh, her son had uh, today what we would call um, a form of autism, uh, autism spectrum disorder. Really, Peter Schrock, really nice young man, yeah. and I worked with him, but I realized I didn't know enough uh, to be extremely helpful. So because of that, I decided to continue my education, finished my master's and my thesis at Northern Illinois in the summers, back and forth. I was at Lake Forest for three years. And even then, I realized I didn't know enough. So I decided to go back, work on my doctorate, went out west to Utah to do that. And uh, from there, um, doors just opened in terms mm -hmm. of this world called higher education and uh, never looked back. So when the doors started to open... And you started to work in roles as a professor, as a dean. I mean, you've gone through mm. the the gauntlet, if you will, to get to president. You've done it, as as my friend Moses Walker would say, the good old-fashioned way, mm -hmm. right? You earned your, your stripes. Why did you keep coming back? What is it about higher ed? Yeah, I started my uh, career at the University of Connecticut, and I was on a, a soft-funded position, uh, federal grant dollars. Did that for three years, really enjoyed it. Had the opportunity to go to Oregon State University, went there as a very happy faculty member, uh, sure. had success writing some grant proposals and generating some federal monies, uh, developed some programs uh, to help prepare people to work with children with disabilities. Hmm. And along the way, somebody thought I'd be a good department chair, and right. I did that seven years, and then someone thought, well, why don't you be an assistant dean? So I did that for a few years, and then ultimately at, uh, at uh, Oregon State University, I was the associate provost. We were pretty thin in terms of administrative uh, structure. And from there, after 20 years, I decided um, at age 50, is it time for a little change? Can I step off a cliff? Can I go somewhere else? Can I can I um, transition uh, yeah. well? And, and was I up for the challenge? So the University of Utah offered me an opportunity to be dean of health at Utah. Um, uh, I did that uh, seven years, um, enjoyed it very much. Um, that led to Southern Illinois University Carbondale to become the provost and uh, vice chancellor there. Sure. And uh, ultimately the interim chancellor at Carbondale after five years. And uh, and then, wow, the right. heavens opened. The greatest I, thing to ever yeah, happen. Right. I found Western Michigan University. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. that's a little bit of the story. Along the way, I managed to continue to do some of my research, my writing, 
uh, my commitment to uh, people with disabilities. Uh, that became more and more challenging as the the nature of the administrative task uh, increased. But uh, uh, in my heart, um, I owe much to people with disabilities. Uh, in my early work with uh, children, particularly with mental retardation, mm-hmm. uh, taught me a lot about um, human nature, taught me a lot about listening, uh, taught me a lot about making sure that you watch for all the cues and that you never lose sight of the human uh, the human being that's there mm. within all of us sure. and respect uh, the, uh, individuals. Yeah. You've now got uh, almost 10 years behind you at what I argue is the greatest university in the land. As you look back over those 10 years, what do you love most about mm. what you've had the opportunity to do here at Western? Yeah, I'll turn that question a little bit and maybe answer it this way. I think in many ways... Um, I'll miss most the people, uh, specifically the students and the yeah. interactions with students. I, I've really enjoyed that. I'm still amazed and sometimes uh, flustered. Uh, I kind of laugh to myself when somebody <laughs> wants to do a, a selfie or an yeah. ussy or a groupie, and I'm thinking, <laughs> gee, Merry Christmas, I'm going to be your grandfather. Yeah. You know? And uh, so the, the kindness of the students and the interactions and I think we've had some success with uh, the Heads Up uh, campus, uh, that we're all in this together, that we can disagree. We are uh, certainly a university, and we don't all think alike, but we can all be friends, and we can be respectful of one another, civil, courteous in our discourse. No question about it, and I think that that has been a a trademark of your leadership. If, If you are listening today and you're wanting to see more about Dr. Dunn's accomplishments and what's happened over the last two years, you can go to mywmu.com backslash Dunn Farewell, and there you will find uh, all, many, not all, it's inexhaustible, but most of the major accomplishments under John Dunn's leadership here, Uh, and also find out about what we'll talk about next, um, retirement. (laughs) You've announced uh, that you are now uh, going to change port of calls, that you'll mm-hmm. still be active and working and leading, but you're going to move from your role as president of this university. Tell us about uh, when you're having those quiet moments to yourself at home, and those are few because you're still working hard. What comes to your mind about retirement? What does that mean to you today? Yeah, it's um, I do and have uh, spent a little bit of time, but not too much. It's kind of a scary Sure. Scary thought. Yeah. Uh, I was coming to work the other day and I had my cup of coffee and my list of five things I needed to get done right away. And as I began the day and all of a sudden I thought, geez, what if I had my cup of coffee, but I didn't have those five things to do? (laughs) What am I going to do and where am I going to go? Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, but having said that, uh, my my goal will be to look for something that's uh, uh, still meaningful, purposeful. Yeah. Um, where can I make a contribution? What can I do to to be of assistance somewhere? Uh, Linda and I are are fortunate. Uh, uh, life has been good to us, and the idea of giving a little bit of time and talent, uh, in addition to resources, money, but of our own time and talent. So I'll keep my eyes open. And um, fortunately, the trustees have been very, very good to me. And uh, next year, they've asked me to continue um, as president emeritus to on contract to be helpful, um, and by that I mean helpful as well as out of the way because I want our next president sure. to have every opportunity to be uh, well supported, and I want to be there to support, but I don't want to be in the way. 
And yeah. this will be the president's new opportunity. John, you've experienced higher education at almost every level mm. of this um, environment that is all over the United States. And there are there are reports and articles and commentaries and blogs every day about higher education. Some are feeling really good about the trajectory of our industry, and others are, are in a state of anxiety about what in the world are we going to do. If you were to classify, you know, the state of higher education as, as you're at this point, being able to reflect really clearly about a, a career well served, where are we in higher education in America? And, and what do you think we need to be doing in higher ed to make sure that we continue to educate students uh, in a world-class way? Well, I'll start with the positives, and that is the United States uh, should be very, very proud, certainly, uh, of their higher education system. And we are the envy of the world in the sense that uh, we have historically done uh, our higher education uh, as at, at the very, very highest level, at the best in the world. Now, having said that, we're going to continue to have some challenges with respect to all the way from finances. Uh, how do we finance higher education? How do we create opportunities and keep that door wide open for our students that are coming from families with less and less resources to really um, be able to engage in higher education the learning uh, styles, modalities, uh, we're all being challenged by that. How do we best connect with uh, young people today who are coming to us uh, with um, a lot of, um, they're, they're savvy in their access to and use of technology. So how do we capitalize on that in the very, very best way? And then I still want to make sure that that we're broad-based in our education, that we want Students to come out of here with obviously a professional uh, opportunity to seek employment, a career, and sure. those kinds of things. But in addition to that, um, I'm old school. I, I still believe strongly that we have a commitment and responsibility to make sure that the humans that we touch, that they're actually better people when they're done and when we're finished yeah. with them, that they have had the opportunity to be in a campus like ours where they've seen students from all over the world that they've been challenged in some of their basic uh, assumptions, uh, maybe even some of their biases, and that they've rubbed shoulders with others, learned more about who they are, and hopefully have increased their uh, respect for humankind in its broadest sense. Yeah. And I think that's probably how higher ed continues to change the world if we, if we pay uh, close attention there. John, we've got an audience of alums and donors and students and parents and former faculty and current faculty and staff. and You've got the Bronco family on the other side of your microphone. As we finish this episode today, but certainly not uh, your, your role yet, uh, what, what do you have to say as a parting thought to, uh, to the Bronco family? Well, first of all, I, I want to say thank you to the Bronco family uh, because um, the experience of being here for these 10 years has just been a marvelous experience. As I like to say, and I'm fond of saying, and I mean it, uh, my only regret about my time at Western Michigan University is I didn't get here 10 years earlier. Right, right? yeah. Because it's a great place. And also, what a marvelous region of the world. And the community that we're in is just top-notch. Sure. Beyond all that, I like to always remind people, hey, it's a great day to be a Bronco. 
It always is. Thank you, John, for being on Raise the W today. Thank you for your years of service, excellent service to this university, and for all you do to make the Bronco family great. Thanks for being on. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you at the next episode. And always, Raise the W. Point out, 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 point out,